welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, you'll meet Tara June Winch, who was awarded the Arts Award in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. I loved how Tara speaks effortlessly about her process to bring to light the lived experiences of Indigenous Australians across multiple generations. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. Joining me for this interview is Nicola Hazel, an expert on inclusive leadership and friend of Advance who helped capture the stories of the 2022 Game Changers. Let's say you're addressing a high school audience. How would you describe what you do and what your day-to-day looks like? So I'm a novelist primarily, um, sometimes essayist, short story writer, and I'm constantly being a mentor to younger writers, up-and-coming writers in the industry. Um, My day-to-day is spent actually... um, with my dog, with my family, and trying to push out the outside world, trying to manage the business of writing with the actual art of writing and and really sort of cherishing that time that it takes to create something, some piece of of art. So I think every day is is challenging. It's like anyone else. It's juggling um, your responsibilities with you know what you need and I guess your responsibilities as an artist that time that you need um away from the outside world so yeah it's it's finding that balance if you think back to let's say high school did you anticipate ending up in France and and how did how did that happen for you in high school I wasn't sure of my talent or even the the career I could possibly go into I didn't know what made me um spark what was my inspiration and 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 purpose for this life um but I knew that I needed to say something and I had always written diaries diary entries and long letters and small kind of naive poems um and I dropped out of school um, just after year 10 because I felt that I needed to journey around my country. I had this real desire to understand my place in in the community, in, um, in my culture and in the wider country. And through that process of moving and writing home letters and those poems, I understood... Um, that it was my calling to, to, to do this, to, to have that pen and paper and to write it down. And then um, when I was 19, I won a second prize in a short story competition and that led 
you know, um, quite serendipitously to meeting with editors and publishers and and having a publishing contract at 20. So, yeah, I think I never could imagine living in France or having previously lived in New York or, um, you know, working with Nobel laureate Wale Shoyenka with the Rolex Foundation. None of that, of course, I could have ever anticipated or imagined or even known was possible. But I think just trusting in that process of knowing what I wanted to say, what I needed to understand, and that this was my, these were my tools, this was my, um, these were my, not talismans, but, you know, these were my tools that I could use. This is the thing that spoke to me. This is the thing I could speak through. Um, and work out, yeah, who I was and and how I fit into, as I said, you know, my community, my culture and my country. And then also understanding history on a global scale and how colonisation fit into that story as well. So, yeah, it's been a process and the questions get more complex and, and, and broader, I think, as I continue my writing career. That's incredibly interesting to capture that journey that you've been on of of discovering the talents, but then also having them discovered and and appreciated. What do you feel drives you and, and that passion to share your insights and reflections and stories? And when you're having a tough day, what keeps you going? I think my motivation each day is to stay close to my purpose, um, stay close to to what I think that I'm capable at, and sort of sticking sticking the line with that. So, um, working on becoming a better writer is a constant daily goal of mine whether I publish something um, quickly or not has has fallen to the wayside it's become about um, sort of moving beyond time constraints moving beyond sort of the ambition of of being young I think that's part of going into middle age as as an artist um, which is such a blessing I think what motivates me in terms of what I want to write down on the page is wanting to make people, wanting to make a reader, whether it's in essay or it's um, in longer prose form, wanting to make a reader really feel something and and not just think and not be didactic with my fiction or my, or my non-fiction, but really move them to do something outside of the page, outside of that reading experience. And also to to um, make something beautiful, make it artistic. And that's part of becoming a better writer is to really engage in, in language, even if it's just English, just becoming better, more, more um, true to, to its purpose and its ability to, to be complex and um, illuminating and, yeah, all the things I hope and dream of becoming as a writer one day. Wow. Well, um, it's certainly um, that creative journey. It's palpable and um, you might have seen the Global Australian Awards are about recognising 
um, and particularly the arts category is about recognising incredible creative souls that are working away in their field. And I wanted to let you know that the judging panel um, looked at it, but hands down just really um, recognised you as the winner of this award. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, thank you. It's amazing. I can't wait to engage with other creatives. Yeah, fit. congratulations. And, and Thank you. Yeah, certainly just hearing about what, not just your success as an author, which, you know, is recognised in the most highly, um, the Miles Franklin and all the incredible accolades that you've received, but that continuous journey uh, of being overseas and and. Um, telling your story not just to an Australian audience but being such an ambassador for um, the Indigenous story overseas but also the Australian story. It's all it's all in there and, and really looking forward to sharing your story. Um, Nicola, did you have any particular questions that we haven't covered yet? There we go. Yes, thank you, Johanna. Tara, it was really incredible having the chance to sort of learn more and more about I guess the journey you've been on as you've published each of your different, very different books and the the life that you've lived in between and before and in amongst these incredible, powerful stories. And I'm, I would love to learn more from you about, I guess, that time when, when you first your first book you know swallow the air came out when you were 22 years old yeah is that right and and you had a one-year-old daughter at the time is that yeah. right yeah you know and this is at a time that this book of you you're talking about how this book, oh yeah six months, old. six months I mean it's remarkable to think what were your ambitions when you were writing swallow the air as that young woman in her young 20s versus I guess what ended up transpiring with it becoming such an influential book and in the HSC curriculum, shaping young minds in Australia and opening those minds, the powerful and raw stories of First Nations Australia and and really helping people to unlock and understand that in such a deep and powerful way. Oh, gosh, we're going so far back in time. (laughs) Um, I think in in writing Swallow the Air, I... It just felt instinctual. I didn't have any understanding of the industry I was going into or or media or expectations. I just had that um, that real innate story about a brother and sister um, living on the coast, connecting back to to culture and and family and and finding how, how they how they existed in this community this broken community this broken history um and yeah at the end of that a book came out it was quite shocking even um even though you know you're working towards a book I think the process of um lecturing with schools and really being engaged with the fact that it was a it became a educational text um just gave me the opportunity to 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 teach and to to retell this story and to um show the power of first nation stories and storytellers and to sort of critique along with the students 
the um, history they'd been told and taught in a sense, in a community sense, and also in the education system. So um, he was a I'm really grateful for that opportunity to to grow alongside students in that way. No, it was um, I'm incre- incredibly yeah, grateful and blessed. You know, so so much obviously came out of this, and and you went and spent time in Nigeria with Wale Siyinka afterwards. I was watching uh, and some interviews with both yourself and with Wale um, that I dug out on YouTube and it was really amazing. He was reflecting at the time about the fact that your time with him was not so much about producing your next piece but was about exploring the stories that were sitting within you and starting to unearth them in a way that perhaps that work may not even surface for years, decades to come. Did that end up being the case? You know, the yield was was a decade later and obviously so much had happened in your life to, to take you from your first novel to your second and, of course, the collection of short stories um, in the middle. But was, was Wale right? Was the, the work you did then part of the journey towards the yield and perhaps books that are yet to come? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was probably the, the most groundbreaking and important lesson that I learned working alongside Wale Shainka is to um, move beyond that ambition of time, of 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 being young and wanting to get things um wanting to achieve things at certain times through someone's career, through one's career. He really instilled the um, the fact that it just takes time. It takes time to work out, work beyond the sociological condition that you want to talk about and to understand your characters and the power that they need to have within within a text, within a story. You know, and that's something I think I've held on to. There's always pressure in the industry from readers, especially from from publishers and agents wanting you to, you know, be more prolific. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, I'd love to be um, writing faster, but it's okay if it takes time. I think, um, yeah, beautiful things, important things take time. And I've sort of resigned myself to to that fact. And I think, yeah, during that time when he said it would take 10 years, maybe it'll take 10 years, it, it was, um, it did take 10 years after he, he said that in the interview. And maybe it'll take another 10 years to produce something that I feel happy with and that I feel is um, truthful and an honest representation of of what I want to say and, yeah, what I want to bring into the world. Your books are so much more as well than um, just amazing, powerful stories, which they are in and of themselves, great, you know, pieces of literature. But really, um, and particularly in the case of The Yield, your books are stewards for carrying forward and preserving language and dialect and culture um, and, and not just protecting it, but sharing it with the world, this is clearly something that's been really, really critical to you in your writing and you've gone to such great lengths to ensure that's that's part of what you're providing to the world. Can you share with us finally a little bit about your role as that 
protector and cultivator and sharer of language and, and of culture and history. Yeah, for, for, for a decade I really struggled with wanting to show um, that uh, cultural genocide that happened in Australia and that has happened you know, in other colonised countries around the world. Um, and I, yeah, I struggled in how to present that in a novelistic form. Um, I understood, you know, from a young age that disconnect from language and that um, and the power of language, first first languages, um, had an as a link to culture as part of um, one's continual mental and spiritual well-being. I think that um, I saw the great work of Dr. Uncle Stan Grant Sr. and Dr. John Rado, um, the linguists who brought together the initial Wiradjuri Dictionary and continue to work on the Wiradjuri Dictionary. And I just wanted to show it. I just felt it was this um, sort of unacknowledged, incredible um, feat and also incredible aspect of our, our history in, in Australia that we have this um, deep, uh, continuous culture and these incredible languages that exist um, that have that have continued to to exist even in the face of cultural genocide. Um, I don't think that I'll always write about languages and the power of languages, um, but. Yeah, it, it, it informed my first work as well. It was really a promise um, in my first work to, in my second novel, to um, bring out more language than I did in the first novel and to show that show that language to, to readers. Thank you so much, Tara. I mean, it, it just it came through so beautifully um, in such of the research and I just wanted to... to I guess, to have the chance just to hear from you about it personally. Yeah, it's interesting, especially the last couple of years, engaging with a European audience particularly and North American audience and um, and seeing and understanding the complex histories that languages have had in different countries, especially in Canada and North America and, you know, um, Poland, Germany and here in France, even where I'm living, actually, I'm living on in, in Brittany, which has its own Indigenous language to the land, um, and that are very proud um, British speakers. So, yeah, it's been um, really eye-opening and, and not just within Australia but on a global scale, yeah. Tara, last question. Um, just uh, what what does it mean to you to be recognised amongst the other artists as um, a winner for, of the Global Australian Award? I feel really honoured and excited to engage with other artists, actually. I think that's probably the most, um, and innovators, the most exciting aspect is to to be part of a community that although we are Australian and um, we are doing work that is benefiting our country and for our country we are seeing it from a distance and you know being out of that time zone it gets a little lonely it's going to be great to have a community around me 
Really, I'm excited. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website, advance.org.